you know, I'm definitely not like 2016, 2017, 2018, when I was like, all I want to do is real estate. Now I'm like, well, I love real estate, but it's not all I want to do. So um, that's a big part of why I want this manageable portfolio so that I can also focus on my life, right? And I want it to be something where I can I can maintain both, right? I can continue scaling my real estate portfolio while uh, living my life. And I think that that's why I need something that's manageable. Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through real estate. We'll be discussing the most important lessons or better known as the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance with new and experienced investors to help you get into real estate investing or scale up your portfolio. So make sure to tune in. What's going on, everyone? It's Ross Nadai. I'm a real estate agent, an investor, and host of the Real Estate Golden Nuggets podcast. I have an amazing episode full of golden nuggets for you. If you like this podcast and gotten any value out of it, please share this far and wide to reach as many people as possible. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so that you can stay up to date on the most recent episodes. Thank you so much for your support. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Real Estate Golden Nuggets. I'm very excited to have my special guest here, Kellen James. Uh, if you haven't heard his name around, I'm sure you will. Uh, he is a, an amazing entrepreneur. I'm very excited to have him on board because not many people can have a big portfolio where it's solely owned by themselves. And Kellen has just, uh, just done that. So uh, without further ado, Kellen, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit back about your journey? I appreciate the kind words, Ross. Um, yeah, so um, my background basically is I went to school for computer science in uh, up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario in Canada. And um, I did four-year computer science degree. And once I did that, I moved down to London, Ontario in, I think it was 2012. And um, I basically just worked my tech job for a while, right? Just kind of saving. My plan was, you know, I realized after... You know, I always tell the story because I, I sat in that chair and for the first week or so, my back hurt. And I was like, this is this is nice. And then it kind of, the pain just kind of went away. And I was like, I don't think this is the kind of thing I want my body to get used to is just sitting in a chair this often. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I just remember that. And then I, I remember after maybe a year or two of it, I think like a lot of millennials, um, you know, they kind of lose patience with it. And they're like, I don't know that I want to do this for another 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pretty quickly realized you know, I I found out the idea of financial independence. And I looked up, you know, there was a Mr. Money Mustache, uh, a blogger that talks about financial independence and living frugally and stuff like that. And, and then, uh, you know, the financial independence subreddit and things like that. So, you know, I really got into the idea of financial independence. And my initial intention was actually to just save up using index funds, right? So, you know, if you if you need you save up a million bucks, you can safely withdraw 4% of that per year and live off that indefinitely, right? Without ever touching the principal. So 40 grand a year, maybe that was enough for me. I don't know. And and that was kind of my initial thought process. Right. And then I was like, well, do I ever buy a house? Like, what's the plan there? So I started looking for, I was looking at houses and I was like, well, if I got a house, I'd have to buy a car because I actually sold my car because I was walking to work all these years, just trying to save money, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if I had to buy a car, then, uh, you know, like, I don't really know that there's a good reason to buy a house. And, you know, it ends up costing me more per month. And then I was like, well, what if I bought a duplex? And then I, and then I kind of started seeing that world. I, I, I heard about Bigger Pockets, I think, somewhere online. And then I started binging Bigger Pockets podcasts. 
And then in one of the podcast episodes, they mentioned the idea that, you know, you can set an alert for your local town. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll set an alert for London, Ontario. And I did. And then maybe a few months later, a couple months later, someone posted, they're like, is anyone else in London, Ontario buying real estate? And there was no community here at that time um, yeah. at all. And so or basically there was very little in terms, there was like the old boys club and that was about it. And so we ended up getting this small get together through bigger pockets. And, um, you know, Matt McKeever was there, uh, Dylan McLaughlin, uh, some other, some other good friends of mine now and Jeff Weibo. And we ended up, uh, Mike Rosart came out a few months later and it was this really interesting, like spark that we knew something might be happening here. Um, at the time, uh, you know, we all, like all of us were working our full-time jobs. Um, and you know, I had no real estate at the time. Um, some, some other people did have a couple properties or a few properties, but nothing crazy. And, uh, you know, I get really inspired by the idea that people in my local town could be doing this stuff. So I had zero properties and I decided, you know, after talking with a bunch of local investors, the one thing I always heard was, you know, I wish I had bought more and I wish I had, I wish I hadn't sold. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy and hold and I'm going to not, and I'm, and I'm going to do it on my own without partners. Cause it just seemed like a nice way to, to go for me. And, uh, and I'm going to do it as quickly as possible. I'm going to buy as much as I can, as quickly as I can, but make sure they're good deals. Right. And, um, so I bought my first duplex. I did 5% down on it. Um, house hacked, live in one side, rent out the other. I was living for free. Um, and, uh, and then I got the next property with 20% down and that ended up being one of, one of my best burrs that I've done, at least in a three or four month period, um, was the second property. And, um, yeah. And then I bought my third property, which actually I live in to this day. It's a triplex that I still house hack. And, uh, I, I scaled up and I was just, I was buying everything I was buying. I was trying to make sure I was getting money out of every deal. So, um, so yeah, I ended up scaling up to uh, 10 properties, 32 units. And that's when I quit my day job. And uh, I'm scaled up since to 50 something units at this point. I've, I, I, I'm throughout this whole time, never sold a property. I was always just holding because I was, I really liked that advice and I, I could right. see the value in it. And, and then of course, we ended up seeing in 2020, this insane appreciation. Um, and so I'm very glad that I held on throughout those years um, because I know a lot of people who are kind of getting sick of the game or sick of the landlording and they're like selling, Oh, I made, I made my profit and they sold. And I'm really glad that I held <laughs> throughout that process. I had 14 buildings that were all able to see that appreciation in 2020. So, uh, made a big, and, and since as well. Um, so yeah, uh, right now sitting around 50 something units, uh, trying to focus more now on six, uh, six plus unit buildings. So now I've, you know, like four six plexes and eight plex, a five plex and some triplexes is kind of where I'm at. Right. And uh, yeah, still all solely owned. And a big goal of mine right now is to pick up an apartment building um, solo without any partners. So um, oh. that's a big part of the reason why recently I did decide actually to sell some properties for the first time ever. Um, and I sold off three properties and I'm actually looking to sell off a couple more as well. Um, just trying to build up a nice big war chest ready to pick up an apartment building. And mm-hmm. it's my way also of kind of offloading some of the smaller buildings um, so that I can then focus my attention on uh, on larger ones. Wow, that's incredible. And you did all this by yourself, which is the biggest hurdle that we come across in <laughs> finance. So you told us that you quit your job. Then how are you able to finance all these buildings and continue building that portfolio? Because that's, that's very, very unique. 
it was a it was a journey because I didn't know a lot of people that had uh, really attempted that. Everyone I know who had quit their job, it seemed like they were doing joint venture partnerships. Um, right. A lot of stuff with other people like OPM and like, you know, like a lot of private loans and things like that. And I, I don't know, I really like to try and keep things simple. So my first 10 properties, I essentially all of them, eight out of 10 of them I did with Scotiabank. So Scotiabank will let you do up to 10 properties if you buy it, if you do it through them directly. If you go through a mortgage broker, you might be limited to four to six. Um, and then you have to start working with the bank directly. But so I got up to the 10 properties. That was when I decided I'm going to quit. And of course, now if you approach a bank with no job and 10, 10 mortgages, they're going to say, wow, we're not giving you mortgages. Right. So <laughs> then I went on the hunt and um, I came across a local credit union that I found was going to work really well for me. You know, I'm not able to do 20% down anymore. It's now it's 25%. And that's just right. the nature of the game. If I want to go in my, myself, I got to put bigger down payments down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the amortization is 25 year. You can't get 30 anymore. So missing out on that a little bit. But at the end of the day, I don't have any limit on the number of doors I can buy. And I'm still able to burr properties and I'm able to get approval solo. So I'm I'm yeah. super happy with that. It's uh it's a lot less on my mind to not have partnerships to maintain and relationships and people to answer to and yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So so how does talk me through how does the credit union aspect work in terms of you mentioned 25 is the down there, right? But then yeah. when you're doing these burr projects, right? So do they initially give you the capital to purchase the property and then you just do a refinance just like a normal uh, bank would or how does that work? So any of the money that I have, uh, like it's the same as any other bank, you have to bring the down payment funds and then you buy the property and then you finance the renovations yourself as well. You know, you can do that through unsecured lines of credit. You know, if you need that renovation money, unsecured lines of credit, borrowing money from people, maybe it's on a promissory note um, or or other refis and that kind of thing. Throughout my journey, I've really tried to keep it simple in that the money I'm borrowing is pretty much just mortgage money, uh, either mortgages or unsecured lines of credit or the occasional uh, promissory note funds from friends, family. For me, in my case, it's just fellow investors. So my friends right. are investors, so it's perfect. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, never borrowing. I, at this point, I, I think to this day still, the most I'd ever borrowed at any moment from an individual is like 160 grand. So nothing crazy. I know plenty of people who borrow millions and that's yeah. how they're buying the real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I prefer to just maybe borrow some money to help me get the down payment funds, buy the property, refi it and pay them back. I really try not to hold too much money at that, you know, eight, 10, 12% plus interest. Um, I don't really hold much of that at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just trying to keep that as simple as I can. And one of the best ways to do that is to buy good deals, right? If the deals are solid, you're able to refi, you're able to pay off all those loans. And there's no point, in my opinion, I, I don't see a ton of value in hanging on to too much debt at that, at that, um, at that high of an interest rate for any length of time. Absolutely. So two things pop up when you mentioned that. One is how are you sourcing out the deals? Are they on market, off market? Yes, because the spread has to be really good for you to refi. And then secondly, uh, of course, with credit units, you're looking at a higher interest rate. So how much are you typically looking at? Yeah, so I think my interest rates have been somewhere between two and a half to three point one percent. And if these are Canadians, that's probably relatively reasonable rates that people are hearing. I know in the states, they the rates tend to be a little bit higher, but they get to right. hold on to it for twenty five, thirty years straight, whereas we get five year terms. Um, but yeah, so a little bit higher. You know, right right now, like for comparison, if you're listening to this in the future, you know, people are getting. 1.5 to high ones <laughs> kind of interest rates uh, at like Scotia and stuff like that. So yeah. a little bit higher, um, but totally reasonable um, at the same time. So, 
And, and, and then how do you source deals? Yeah. So um, I think at this point, most of my portfolio, I think 80% plus of my portfolio has been off-market deals. Um, I do I do have some in the past where I bought things on the market. I think the last on-market deal I bought was probably not since 2019 or so though. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I'm definitely sourcing most of my stuff off-market and I'm doing it myself as well. I mean, you could definitely, I think it's worth getting on wholesalers lists. You know, there's there's value in it. Maybe occasionally they'll come across a deal. Um, right now, it seems like wholesalers are just another version of the MLS though, right? It's or best offers. So everyone's coming and doing bidding yeah. wars. It's just a smaller market. Um, so maybe you have a little better better chance than on market. But um, uh, once again, as always, I try to do that stuff just myself. So, um, you know, just act like a wholesaler would, right? You don't necessarily have to do a whole flyer campaign, although don't let that be think, something that seems intimidating. You know, in yeah. Canada, you reach out to Canada Post, you give them some flyers, they mail them out for you. And you can do that by postal code, or you can blanket a whole city if it's a small town. It's not that big a deal. And that, that's where most of their de- deals are coming from, right? So what I tend to do is a lot more um, networking amongst you know people in my neighborhood or in the neighborhoods that I target, um, talking with contractors, uh, talking with property managers and realtors, pocket listing. Um, but most of the time, it's not going to be realtor related. It's actually just going to be deals fine on my own. Um, so yeah, it's it, it. There's not like a silver bullet. There's just a ton of different strategies, and I try to do all of them. There's a. I actually did a video on my YouTube channel. I haven't posted a video on my in my YouTube channel in like a year, but I did a video on how I find off market deals, and I went through like probably 15 different methods and how I do that. Um, door knocking, of course, driving for dollars. Any t- any way you can get in touch with the owners. So like in London, Ontario, we have this quirky method where you you can go into City Hall. And you can go on this computer and this computer will tell you what the mailing address of the owner is. So you can do things like that. I mean, you can't so much during COVID, but there are workarounds. Um, yeah. But any way you can get in touch with the owners directly, right? You can, you, even if you can find their name, maybe you have a friend who's a realtor, they can find the name of the owner. You can try and find them on Facebook, get in touch with them any way you can and, uh, and just ask if they're willing to sell and, and make sure you're, if you're not a realtor, to clarify, you're not a realtor because a lot of people really get their backs against the wall, right? Correct. For better or for worse, uh, you know there is that's one advantage you do have as just a real or just as an investor is to say I'm not a realtor, and people go okay because they think that realtors are going to take advantage of them by default, right? Mm-hmm. They know more than me, um, even though as an investor you could very well know more than them too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, actually, it's, the other way around, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it is. That's that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So in terms of on your day to day, like uh, wh- how are you sourcing out or creating active income for yourself? Because I know you you were doing a lot of buying holds, right? So what are you doing? In, are you wholesaling these deals yourself, like the ones that you don't want anymore? Or how are you going about the raising active income? Uh, not a ton of active income, honestly. Um, my focus has always just been, uh, you know, burring and then ca- for cash flow. I mean, my portfolio, uh, I sold a couple recently, but my portfolio at some point recently was cash flowing 17,000 a month total. And that was like wow. after vacancy and maintenance. And that's, and then there's probably close to another 10 grand or so of mortgage pay down uh, that or something like that, maybe five to eight or something like that. So like right. that's enough, more than enough for me to live on. I live a pretty frugal life. Um, and then when you do a refinance, you have a chunk of cash sitting in the bank too. You know, you got to make sure you're dealing with that tax side correctly. But at the end of the day, you have a bunch of capital. You can kind of live off there. Um, I did just, I did start a coaching business. So, you know, I've been doing that as active income um, for the last while. Um, for the most part, um, it's just been through cash flow. Um 
and refinances. And I'm actually very comfortable with that. I know a lot of people are really, I need to see X amount per month. I need to see money come in before I can spend money. But if you've got a chunk of cash saved up and you have the skills and ability to earn more money, it's good to get comfortable with that. And, and, and with the idea that you're not always going to earn this much per month and then spend this much per month, it's going to be sporadic as, as an entrepreneur. Right. So, you know, people need to get comfortable with that concept before they're going to be willing to quit their jobs, right? If they want to quit their job and pursue real estate full time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then in terms of uh, act, other active side, I know a lot of investors are kind of working on the private lending. Is that something you also take part? Um, so I think that it's really hot right now. I know a lot of people have, you know, they've made their money in real estate. They've a lot of people for the most part, they rode the appreciation wave. Now they're like, Oh, I can just sell stuff off, lend it out at 10, 12% right. and uh, live off the income. I think that, I think that like a portion of your money, that could be a really good thing. I think a lot of people go really far down that rabbit hole. And I don't think people really understand the risk they're taking on, especially when they're doing it unsecured. Um, I think that for small amounts of money, it can be a really good thing. I've, I've done, I'm doing it currently. I'm on both sides of it. Um, you know, I'm loaning out money. Sometimes I borrow money. Um, I, but I never try. I, I try not to do it with any huge amount of money. Um, I definitely would prefer, you know, even just an index fund over the long run earns an average over the last 90 years has earned nine and a half percent interest. And that's definitely going to be far safer, in my opinion, than at least historically than private loans. Uh, I think that a lot of people tend to think, you know, when you're in a hot market, they think this kind of thing lasts forever. Um, you just want to be aware that whoever you're loaning money to, they need to understand how to pay you back. And yeah. it's not the easiest thing to do, right? If their Burr project doesn't work out, how are they paying you back? And, and if the answer is they're borrowing money from someone else, well, that's kind of got a pyramid feel to it, right? So it's really important yeah. that you're loaning money to people who know how to make far more than the 10% you're getting from them um, so that you're, they're ready to pay you back. Um, ideally, their strategy is something that would work even if there was a market downturn or a correction or anything like that. Um, so I don't do a ton of private lending. Uh, it's not really my jam. I, I'd kind of prefer to buy and hold real estate for the long term. So um, instead, my approach is more going to be, you know, buying apartment buildings and holding them for the long run. Um, I feel quite a bit safer actually doing that. Um, and even if it doesn't like, again, generate that exact monthly income that a lot of people want, I know in the long run, it's going to earn a lot more. Um, so I prefer that method and it feels safer to me as well. Yeah. And I love that you, you mentioned a couple of times. Yeah. The, uh, it's a mindset shift, right? Uh, yeah. folks that are used to working a corporate job, they're so used to a steady paycheck, yeah. right. Or a steady income for the year. Right. So mm -hmm. they kind of budget around that and their expenses are, I should say needs and wants are in there. Right. Yeah. Versus when I was an entrepreneur, uh, you definitely have to figure out what is the must have and then try yeah. to live off that. Yeah, I had a whole like long before. Uh, well, I, I quit a few years back doing this, but I used to track all of that stuff. I mean, I didn't even track it so much as I just said, you know, how much do I think I need for food and, and my cell right. phone and my Internet and my living and whatever. And yeah, you can you can realize that, you know, at a very like baseline level to get you by, you really don't need that much. And then you know, it does get to a point where if you're doing well in the real estate world or in your investing world or whatever entrepreneurship you're doing, um, you know, if you do end up making far more than you're spending, there's nothing wrong with incre increasing, you know, your lifestyle. That, that's totally right. fine. I know that like for me, um, I did. I totally did. I did almost a 180. Um, like I was very frugal and I still am. I live in a triplex. I still drive a Hyundai Accent. I love to spend anything money on convenience, anything that saves me time. 
favorite thing, my favorite thing to spend money on. So um, anything I can outsource in the real estate world, I, I try to do. Um, a big part of my focus is now actually going to be shifting my portfolio to be something that's more manageable, easier to manage. And that way it's something I'm better able to outsource and feel confident in whoever I hire. Very rare to find good property managers. So um, I, I prefer the idea of insourcing, hiring my own Per, like hiring a person, training them on how to do what I do, and then paying them a salary instead of uh, paying them a percentage of gross rents. Um, so that's a big part of why I'm selling off some duplexes and things like that, and building up a cap, building up capital ready to purchase stuff that's all, uh, more purpose built. Yeah, and then your portfolio does it all reside in London, or where, where are you investing right now? Yeah, 100% in London, Ontario. I really try and focus and try and keep things simple. So I'm 100% in London, Ontario. Uh, I'm actually now 100% in two neighborhoods, um, Old East Village and Soho. Um, so I had one downtown I sold, and that was the only outlier I had. Now I'm focused in those two neighborhoods. Um, and uh, fingers crossed, I keep something similar like that going. Um, or same idea, the core of downtown uh, is really a goal of mine. Now, of course, if, I, if I'm looking more into apartment buildings, if there's something in London, or even if it's in the surrounding area, then I'll be open to it because, you know, apartment buildings are a completely different game in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. So, so what, what changed? I mean, why shift from, say, residential, you know, the duplexes, the tri- triplexes now into apartment buildings, right? You're looking yeah. at bigger units. Is it, are you more after the economies of a scale or what changed for you? I mean, a big part of it is initially the goal was cash flow, right? I want X amount per month so I can feel comfortable quitting my job. And then right. the goal after that was, well, I may as well build more cash flow. I have some good momentum. Why not keep going? And then it was like, okay, I don't need this much cash flow. I don't need more cash flow. I'd rather rather have more of a, an equity play, right? My goal is now it's actually about adding value to buildings. And you know, apartment buildings, the biggest part of that is actually just turnover, whether you're, you're doing cash for keys and paying people to leave or just natural turnover over time, which actually I do a ton of that as well. A lot of my stuff, I just, I bought like in 2020, I, I bought somewhere around 20 units and, you know, now there's just occasionally some, oh, hey, I'm going to move. I'm going to move. So I have like five, four or five units under renovation right now right. that um, just natural turnover. Right. Um, so you don't necessarily need to, you know, force people, not you can't, we can't force anyone anyway, but you don't necessarily have to force it by paying a bunch of people immediately. Um, sometimes natural turnover works. I'm, I am trying to structure this as something that I can do for the long run, right? Like, you know, I'm definitely not like 2016, 2017, 2018, when I was like, all I want to do is real estate. Now I'm like, well, I love real estate, but it's not all I want to do. So um, that's a big part of why I want this manageable portfolio so that I can also focus on my life, right? So when you are looking at these apartment buildings, is there a portion of it that uh, will still, of course, there'll still be cash flow, but you're saying it's not as liquid or in terms of cash flow as, say, yeah. the smaller multis. However, the equity gain is a lot bigger. Is, is that is that correct? Yep. yep, exactly. Yeah. So honestly, I'll probably just like in terms of like month to month living type stuff, uh, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be mostly from my existing cash flow on my, on my current portfolio, that and right. a combination of refinances and things like that. Um and then, uh, yeah, and then the rest is just going to be equity plays. I mean, so for somebody who's starting out, right? Somebody who's just one wants is focused solely yeah. on cash flow based on your experience. Is this still a good idea to focus on those smaller units? Absolutely. Transition to apartments. I do think that. I honestly don't think it's a good gr- a good idea for most people to jump into apartments. It's not because you don't have the ability to or anything like that. Um, there definitely is value in learning from the smaller ones before moving on to the big ones. That's for sure. Right. You know, the three, four, five, six unit buildings, they just tend to cash flow a lot better, especially, you know, converted dwellings. They tend to cash flow fantastic. 
And I love that you brought that up there, Kellen, uh, in regards to the, the, there's always a, a fine battle between, you know, being an investor or having a career, and then you have your personal life. And yeah. uh, I, I'm sure, you know, since you're managing a ton of units, how difficult is that in terms of management? I mean, it's not every day that you get a call, but I, I can imagine with like, you know, 56 units or so, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, hands-on involvement on your end. Yeah. So I don't do any of the work myself. Like I don't necessarily answer everyone immediately. I kind of batch it, but essentially, you know, most problems these days are, you know, a tenant texts you, maybe they send you a photo of an issue. You text your contractor, contractor goes out and fixes it, sends you a text saying with a photo of the fix. And then you send them an e-transfer saying it's completed. Right. So all of this stuff is done remotely. There is some stuff I still do in person for the most part. uh, Yeah. It's not, like the maintenance side of things is really manageable. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's more so new acquisitions and renovations. Those are the things that really take ninety percent of your time. If I were to just stop buying and just maintain, it's uh, it's very easy. Um, at the same time, even then, I would like to have someone helping out with it because you know if I'm traveling, I don't necessarily want to be getting texts from tenants. Right. That's the thing. If you're self managing, you work all the time. Like you don't get a day off. So it's good to be able to hand that stuff off. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of value in self-managing in the early days and then uh, at some point later on uh, passing passing the torch or at least getting someone to help you out with it. For sure, for sure. I, one of the hurdles that I find personally for me to get over this hump is, is the the tenant profile, being yeah. able to select your own tenants. And and I, I personally think it's that's probably the most important part other than finding the right deal, yes. right? Because if you don't have the right tenant profile, then you're you're dealing with a lot of headaches in the future versus if you're dealing with great tenants, like yeah. you mentioned, and they understand the procedures and processes, whether well, it's an email or text to say, hey, let me know if anything's broken down, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, if you put quality tenants in there, if you, if you have a triplex and it's filled with three quality tenants, you'll very rarely hear from that about that triplex. That triplex won't be a stress point in your life. But if you put a shitty tenant in there, it's going to be a pain point. Um, so take vacancy instead of uh, filling it with someone. Lose the thousand bucks or whatever it is for that unit for that month and and wait until the next month. When you find someone good, that's who you want. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, you, you want to still have the headache. So yeah. uh, in terms of you managing itself, so uh, are these businesses that you have, or I should say these properties that you have, are they all yeah. in their personal name or are they incorporated? How are you dealing with the tax side? Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, so actually everything I own right now is still personally owned. I did start a three-tiered corporation or three-tiered corporate structure recently. So a real estate company, a property management company, and a holding company. I think that a lot of the reason people incorporate, you know, is going to be first off, they feel like they need it for liability purposes. But if you have good quality insurance, you're generally not going to have to worry too much about in, in that side of things. On the tax side of things, you really have to plan that with your accountant. It's very specific to your portfolio. Very important for you to just speak with your accountant about that stuff. Uh, really specific to your situation and really specific to your plans as well. But what I like to, I mean, I like to show people that you definitely don't have to at an, at an early point in your journey. Uh, you got to talk to your lawyer, your accountant, fellow investors. If you have a mentor, just like talk through all these situations. Are, are you holding any of these uh, uh, portfolios in a trust account or how are you managing that aspect of it? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, they're, like I said, all personally owned. Um, and, and, you know, I do, I do mess like if you're talking about like Olympia trust and that kind of stuff, like I don't have any loans, like nothing I own right now is through borrowing money from other people's RSPs and stuff like that. You 
that's another approach people can definitely consider. I'm actually more on the other side of it. I am loaning out through my TFSA. I really want to bump up my contribution room on my TFSA because I essentially ignored my TFSA for like <laughs> years while I was buying real estate. And I really don't want to ignore it. I think it's an awesome vehicle for um, tax savings. That's <laughs> awesome. No, that's a very comfortable space to, to be in. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm just curious for somebody who's been investing in the end, you have a ton of, you know, essentially experience, right? Especially with Burr projects. How come you never considered, uh, you know, active side, like things like flipping, for instance, or wholetailing? Was yeah. that something you're considering or Airbnb? You know, because there's a lot you can do, right? Yeah, a lot of what I teach people in general is to is to maintain focus, right? And, you know, and and like focus means avoiding distractions. And uh, so there's a lot of shiny objects. And, and, and for me, the goal is always long term buy and hold. Uh, it's really because I'm trying to maintain focus on where I really make the money and where I really make the money is buying stuff under market value, forcing the appreciation, refinancing and buying the next one. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. And then so uh, in, in regards to the, the mindset, I want to talk about mindset here, because, yeah. you know, uh, for somebody to, to go quit their job to to scale that quickly and that efficiently, right? Yeah. How are you mentally preparing yourself for that? Because that's a huge shift. Uh, first of all, taking a leap of faith of quitting, uh, you know, a stable yeah. income. And then secondly, growing at a pace that, that you're growing. How are you managing yeah. to do that? Yeah. I was really nervous about quitting just because, you know, it's you finally saying, you know what, what I've built here is actually enough to sustain my life going forward, right? I don't need to do what I've been doing for all these years anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of it for people, two things is uh, their sense of personal identity. A big part mm-hmm. of it is generally tied up in their career and their job, right? When people ask what they do, I mean, when you talk to someone for, for the first time, they generally ask, what do you do? So you know, there's a lot of people that hold their pride in that. And that's a tough thing to get over uh, or move your identity into something else. But that's why I try to like to disperse my identity amongst a bunch of things, right? I'm, I'm not just Kellen, the real estate investor, I'm Kellen, a bunch of other things, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it helps you to kind of identify, like to get comfortable with what your personal identity is, and hopefully detach it from your just your career, right? So that's a big part of it. I think a lot of it is trying to do your due diligence before you take the leap, right? I guess having faith in yourself, having faith in your network, getting connected with the right people. And, and right. just like anything, rather than quitting your job and starting and doing a startup, you know, it's better maybe to try the startup on the side and that kind of thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. same idea with real estate, build your portfolio as you're working. And then once you're getting a little more comfortable with it, you can kind of ease into it um, and just be comfortable with the idea that you don't necessarily, you know, need to you know, you don't necessarily need to live that expensive lifestyle immediately, right? If you don't want that life or ever, if you don't want, um, and just be comfortable with the idea of maybe living a bit of a frugal lifestyle for a period of time until you're ready to, uh, until you've built up even more cash flow or whatever you need to, to live the lifestyle you want. You know, one of the challenges I've had, and I think a lot, I've noticed a lot of people maybe have, but don't recognize is when they quit their job, you know, they continue buying more real estate and doing that thing. And that could be a great thing, but I guarantee there's a chunk of those or at least a subset of them that, you know, it's it's similar to, you know, you you finish your undergrad degree and now you go to your master's because you don't necessarily know what you want to do. A lot of people are running away from their job and they're not no, they don't know what they're running toward. So yeah. it's good to be aware of, you know, what you're running toward, because, you know, if you're especially if you're doing it at a, at a relatively young age, there's a lot of time left ahead of you. So it's good to identify what you want to spend that time doing. Absolutely. And then another thing I was going to say is a lot of us tend to think, you know what, if I, if I quit my nine to five job because I don't want to work anymore, I go to real estate. They don't realize they're replacing a job with another job. Yeah. Often or not, especially when they get started. 
uh, and depends on how you know involved you are. I would say is the big deciding factor. Yeah, but I've seen folks that are started and they are kind of doing the rentals themselves. Well, guess what? That's an, that's even a tougher job than what you were doing in a in your office environment or working from home. You can say, yeah, right? it's, exactly. It, it, so I totally agree with you. You just really have to drill down into what your why is and why are you doing this? What's the reason? Is it because you want to retire in ten years? You want to retire in two years? Like, how hard are you willing to work? And then. I would say the relationship aspect of it. I know you have a girlfriend. I'm married as well. It's it's very demanding at times because you just yeah. don't have time for for anything else other than than, than job. And it, sometimes you think to yourself, like, did I really sign up for this? <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's it, man. That's a tough thing that not we don't talk. We don't hear people talking about it anywhere near often enough. Like yeah. people who have to deal with entrepreneurial partners um, when they when their partner isn't necessarily of that same mindset is. And that's a really tough thing because I mean, you're working a lot of hours and you seem like you're, you are entirely obsessed with it, right? Another thing I was going to ask you, have you considered crypto? Is that something that's on your radar? Yeah. So I was actually really in that rabbit hole back when I was working in my tech job because a lot of tech guys are um, in 20, geez, maybe, I don't know, one, um, another one of those stories, right? Where someone was into <laughs> it at that time and they didn't hold. Um, I didn't really hold very much of it, but I do have actually a, a relatively significant crypto holdings right now. But the only reason is because um, I know someone, uh, I, I'm not going to get into detail, but I know someone who it, who works in that field. I know them, I trust them, and they're actually managing this stuff for me. So I gave them a chunk of capital that they can kind of do their thing with, and I trust them to do it. And uh, it's doing well. But my favorite part about it is that it's not taking up any of my mental bandwidth because that's another distraction. I'll tell you. Like I love that you mentioned earlier is the, um, the shiny syndrome, right? Yeah. It's, it's all over. It's very hard. I find as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. to stay focused because you see deals all over the place. Like you yeah. see one in this city, you see one in this city. And it's just, just like, you just want to go and, I don't know how people do it uh, personally, because there's folks that I know personally that are like investing all over the country. Some people across the board, even like, um, you know, in States. Yeah. And uh, to me, uh, again, maybe it's a, a mindset thing for myself. And I just don't feel comfortable taking that huge leap of faith or going that far of a distance right. because as I'm progressing, I'm, you know, my portfolio is not as significant as yours, but I, 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 too, I do tend to be around the area just because I want to have yeah. my feet on the ground, right? So I understand that if something goes wrong, not that necessarily that I'm going to fix it, but it's just as more yeah. of a, hey, can I delegate this to, to a certain uh, person to take care of it? Whereas yeah. buying completely uh, un, you know, um, unseen and like you're not handling anything and you're letting someone else manage it, you don't know what is really going on, I feel. Yeah. There's an absolute advantage to being local or near or, or be able to take a drive down for like a couple hour drive or something like that. There's an mm -hmm. absolutely an advantage there. It's not something like, yeah, there's a mindset thing to get over there if you want to invest somewhere remotely, but it's not something you have to do. Um, like there's, if you're willing to take a two hour drive, there's almost definitely going to be a market that you can make a lot of money in and you have a strategic advantage by being local. I mean, there is an advantage there. Um, now, if you want to invest in other cities, I'm not an expert at that because it's not what I do. But for sure, anyone, almost anyone I've talked to who does that stuff, they have someone that they know and trust in that city. But if, if there's a market that really intrigues you that's remote, I mean, the management side, the acquisition side, a lot of the stuff is very similar, whether you're investing locally or remotely. It's going to be different if you're crossing borders. Um, you know, then there's another layer of abstraction there, more tax situations and stuff yeah. to deal with. 
So let me ask you this. I mean, since you are, um, you know, doing this for quite some time, what does your a typical day in, in Kellen's life look like? <laughs> some days, like Angie and I, sometimes I'll have like a, well, she's still working a full-time job, but you know, if there's a day that she has off or something like that, I'll try, maybe I'll treat a, a Tuesday, like I call it like treating it like a Sunday, right? So some days I'm just like, you know what, this is a Sunday to me. I'm just going to have a lazy day and, and just relax and you know, I'm watching Better Call Saul right now. So I'm just like, <laughs> watch some TV and just enjoy my life, go for a walk, hang out with friends. Like, that's actually one of my ideal, kind of my ideal life in a lot of ways is kind of hang out, travel a bit, hang out with friends, a lot of social time, that kind of stuff. Yeah, otherwise, day in the life, it's all over the place. Some days I'm working all day. Um, I try to keep my evenings relatively free. I don't want to necessarily be working in the evenings too much anymore these days. Self-managing, so the occasional texts and stuff from tenants that I deal with. When I have renovations on the go, that definitely takes up a chunk of my life. But even then, it's mostly mental bandwidth more than anything because I'm not doing any of the work myself. I just need to make sure that I have the right people lined up for the next stage of the project and that they have their materials needed that they need and all that stuff. And then just like analyzing my portfolio, see where things are at, see when the next turnover is happening and just managing that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Even on the you know the, the renovation aspect, people don't realize just because you outsource it doesn't mean it ends there. You kind of have no. to even manage that portfolio, manage that yeah. contractor, stay yeah. updated, right? Um, and I do, I do act as my own GC for the most part. So mm-hmm. um, you know that 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 is something where there probably is value in getting a GC to handle that stuff for you. I sort of still enjoy that process. It's half yeah. stress, half enjoyment. I like to lay like lay out the unit the way I like and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. You can decide wh- what what parts of things you enjoy. And if, if there's parts you don't enjoy, those are good things to outsource. Yeah. So what does the next like year look like for you, Kellen? Is it primarily you're just going to just look focus now on apartment buildings and transition into that? Or are you going to continue ac- ac- acquiring, you know, these small multis? It's a, my plan is large, larger buildings. My plan is to try and avoid the shiny object of three to four unit buildings. I'm going to try and focus on six and up. And transitioning my business is something that's a little bit easier for me to hire out management and know that it's something I'm going to be able to man- manage well over the long term. You know, I know a ton of people who say, yeah, I just got a property manager and now they handle everything. I can guarantee you there's there's a lot of shit happening behind the scenes that they're not saying, right? Because when you yeah. just hand things off to a property manager, I've been in a lot of buildings that property management handles and it's not being handled very well. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. So eventually, like you were saying, it would probably make sense for you to have inter- um, internal hire. Yes, someone yes. Who can, you know, do exactly what you need. I think that that's probably the best method when, as you're progressing. Yeah, uh, there, there's definitely advantages for in-house. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool. It's cool to be able to, you know, like I, I hire a lot of people, um, not not full-time employees, but a lot of a lot of people make their living off of me sending them e-transfers. <laughs> a lot there of people. Um, sure. Yeah, so it's kind of neat to be able to to for that to be a, a result of what we do, right? And it, it, I just like I want to treat people well along the way, whether it's tenants, contractors. Uh, anyone involved in the process. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure people are being treated well along the way. Yeah, but outsourcing is really important. And, and if you do it, you want to do it right. All right. Now we're going to segue to, I guess, the end of the podcast here. Usually yeah. I like to ask my uh, guests here is for someone who's looking into growing their portfolio or getting into real estate invest, investing, what are some books that, uh, that you recommend? Maybe a top three so I, I don't really know any good real estate books, to be honest. They're for the most part, they're investing books and minds. Books are mostly a mindset thing, I find. Um, I, I think big, I haven't read any of them, but the Bigger Pockets books are probably some of the more actionable type stuff on burring and renovating and things like that. Um, 
But on the real estate side, I don't know that I've really read any great books um, on that. Um, uh, but like on the businessy mindset type stuff, I really liked, um, I liked blue fishing. I liked never split the difference. Um, I like, I love the four hour work week. I'm rereading it for the second or third time right now. Um, yeah. audiobooks, obviously if you're not reading books. Um, I definitely recommend just finding one that excites you and, and just jumping into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then if, you know, I know we can't travel anywhere, but if you can travel anywhere in the world right now, where would it be and why? It's a good question. Um, we, we do plan on um, going out to out west and hanging out in Vancouver for a while, and, and maybe enjoying the process of like you know traveling across Canada. So that is in the in the in the works. Um, we are going to, to the Dominican in November. We booked that in January of twenty January of twenty twenty one. So we booked <laughs> it really early on. Just saying, hopefully vaccines are all out and we can have this trip. So we're doing right. that. Um, Australia has always been one of the ones on the top of my list. So I, I absolutely want to go there. That's probably, that's probably really high up on the list at least. And then just leave off uh, the, the audience here with uh, one piece of advice. What would that be? Again, uh, for me, a big, big thing is focus, right? So like whatever your goal is, try and laser focus on it. Try not to have one more than one, maybe two main goals. Um, and just avoid all the other distractions. It really helps a lot to say no to a lot of things. Uh, that's a big part of my mantra is just saying no to things. So um, yeah, just become laser focused, put your blinders on, ignore all the noise. Um, you know, whether maybe that means you need to unfollow a ton of people on Instagram and Facebook, or, you know, only, only focus on reading books that are specifically on the topic you want to do. Um, just like surround yourself with people doing exactly what it is you want to do. If you're, if you want to do flipping, hang out with a bunch of flippers and talk to flippers. And if you want to do buy and hold, focus on that, right? Like, just find your lane and, and, and laser focus on it. You're generally going to become an ex like that, that. That's where you're going to get most of your success is by laser focusing on one thing and becoming an absolute expert at it and just running that lane. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then for folks that want to connect with you, uh, Kellen, what would be the best way to reach out to you? Um, best way is definitely Instagram. Um, so Kellen.james on Instagram. Uh, my website is kellenjames.ca. Um, yeah, those are probably the best ways to get in touch with me. And then we have our podcast as well, the On Fire podcast, Matt McKeever and I host. So uh, you can always check that out as well. Perfect. Perfect. I'll definitely have the sh uh, all those in the show notes. Uh, yeah. So for folks that want to connect with James, please, uh, with Kellen, please go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no worries. It's my middle name. So <laughs> there, you go. there you go. I don't know. They had a, like, like a ring to it. I, I have a friend. I like that. Name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my last name is Panicha, but no one ever knows how to spell it or pronounce it. So I just, now it's Kellen James. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kellen. Really appreciate it. Uh, I know the audience got a ton of uh, great golden nuggets out of this and uh, appreciate wow. your time on, on this podcast today. Yeah. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were able to get some great golden nuggets out of it. The kindest thing that you could do is share this podcast across all social media to help as many people as possible. If you like this podcast or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or YouTube. I love bouncing ideas, people, and I love talking real estate. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode. Remember, financial freedom is just a few properties away.